Breaking through with Olam. Tank fly, boss walk, jam, nitty gritty. You're listening to the boy from the big bad city. This is jam hot. This is jam hot. Hi, welcome along to this podcast where I won't be interviewing anyone or talking about anything directly related to the dance music industry. Today I want to focus on a topic that is as personal and more important to me than any topic that I could hope to discuss in this series, mental health. But first of all I want to go through a few uh, staggering statistics. Around 20% of the world's children and adolescents have mental disorders or problems. At any time, one in six adults has mental health conditions and one in 100 has severe mental illnesses. People with mental ill health die younger and a greater proportion have poor physical health compared to the general population. These differences are most profound for people with serious mental illnesses such as psychosis or bipolar disorder who die on average 10 to 17 years earlier than the general population. About 800,000 people commit suicide every year worldwide. In 2017, there were about 6,200 suicides in the UK. In the UK, men remain three times as likely to take their own lives than as women, and in the Republic of Ireland, four times more likely. The highest suicide rate in the UK was for men aged 45 to 49. That last fact was quite shattering for me, being a male approaching their 45th birthday, I have two gorgeous and wonderful gifted children and I hope to spend many more years with them. Having spent a number of years in harm's way, both as a soldier being shot at, blown up and the ever possible possibility of suicide bombers, to then go and spend a considerable amount of time as a close protection officer daily facing danger, I have never ever been so scared as I was when I realised that I was struggling with my own mental health and I had this overwhelming feeling of that I was drowning. I hope to cover some of the back history to my own experiences with my mental health issues, from being a child of a toxic and abusive childhood upbringing, through my experiences serving in the British Army, to leaving the forces and struggling to find my place in society. I was also, in, during this time, dealing with some of the dark thoughts in my head and I couldn't really understand where, where they were coming from. It is totally unscripted, raw, and possibly at times not cohesive. But it is my journey, it's my experiences, and it's my way of dealing with some of the harsh thoughts and feelings that have permeated through me. I want to contribute by helping to blow away the stigma surrounding mental health, and possibly offer myself up to anyone listening to just being a faceless ear to listen and understand. If anything I say over the next couple of minutes or so, resonates with you and you just just need somebody to talk to by all means get in touch you know you're listening to my podcast so you know all my socials you know how to get in touch with me just drop me a line dude or dudettes and let's have a chat i need to make something clear though that this podcast in no way should be treated as expert advice it's merely my documented experiences I would, however, wholeheartedly advise anyone who can relate to anything that I say to first speak to a friend or family member, possibly a doctor if you feel comfortable doing that, but more importantly, and I can't stress this enough, seek out professional organisations such as MIND, 
who are hugely, hugely qualified and have been instrumental in supporting me through my own issues. So what I want to do now is basically go back to the earliest possible memories that I have. And they're during my childhood. So thinking back perhaps to when I was about eight or 10, I came from a pretty standard uh, relationship, mum and dad together, my dad was serving in the army. And during that time, I didn't perceive there was any problems, you know, I was, you know, I was a child in a very loving family. My dad occasionally was harsh with his punishments. Such was life back in those days, you know, I'd get the odd belt, odd slap across the face. Nothing that I recall as being too harsh and out of order. We were always moving around, you know, and I was making new friends and losing friends and having to make more friends. So I guess I was fairly comfortable in, you know, different environments. As I reached my teens, we settled in Chesterfield and I went to a Catholic school where, you know, it's pretty, pretty standard, you know, I was bullied for having a southern accent and actually being brown. Nothing too harsh, but actually I got my payback, let's just say. And a few years later when I was in the army, one of my bullies from my school happened to be in the same regiment as me. And I was a little bit more handier with my fists then. Anyway, going back to my childhood, my dad left the army and he started working in Chesterfield. You know, he was working for the council and unknown to us, he started an affair with somebody he was working with. The inevitable happened, my parents divorced, well, they separated and divorced and my dad had no contact with us kids and he went off to be with this woman and there, therefore I was left without a father figure in my life. At this point, it's nothing new. You know, there's many people who are probably listening who've been through similar, similar experiences. My mum struggled. She was finding it hard. You know, she's, she's half Malaysian and, you know, she had, she had a few issues. So what I, uh, what I started experiencing is my mum becoming verbally and physically abusive. You know, it'd start out with being hit by, with wooden spoons, belts, and on numerous occasions, I remember being strangled. I also recall being threatened with a knife. And I have a scar where my mom actually cut me. So from being about 13 or 14, I was subject to a very abusive mother. And in today's climate, this thing wouldn't be tolerated. But I didn't know better. I was a victim. and I didn't understand. I was made to feel as if I was to blame. And being the only male in the house, I seemed to be the punch bag. It was during this time that I started to act out. I remember being really angry. And I used to sneak out at night just to walk the cold, dark streets, be on my own, and try and escape the life I was living. You know, over the next couple of years, we moved houses. We started out in rented accommodation, and then my mum got a house. She started working nights to bring the uh, money in. And it was at this time that I'd used to go out, leaving my young 10-year-old sister at home on her own. So I wasn't even a responsible teenager at this point. So I'd go out, do drugs, drink in excess, and I'd often hold parties on a school night, just so that I could feel popular and loved. It was around about this time that something monumental happened in our family dynamic. 
my mother decided this was the time to tell me that a, a boy that I'd grown up with and known to be my cousin Andrew was in fact my brother. My brother. He was the offspring of a relationship that my dad had had with, with a woman previous to my mum. I can remember this immense anger and frustration building up inside of me, you know, and I was becoming uncertain about the world I lived in. I remember shoplifting, I was joyriding, and I was doing all of this really to get acceptance from the friends that I thought I had. These were friends that I thought were my friends, you know, and if I look back now, the friends that I have now and the friends that I am, you know, meeting through various organisations I'm part of, my friends now wouldn't stand for that shit. They'd stop me. They'd pull me to one side and they'd tell me I'm wrong. But my friends were teenagers. My friends were probably rebelling against their own parents. So they thought it was exciting. It was at this point that I think my life was spiralling out of control. You know, I remember getting into fights. Fights that I knew I couldn't win. But I'd get into them anyway just so I could get hurt and blame it on someone else other than my mother. I think if I recall back to my teenage years, the deepest pain I ever felt was denying my own feelings to make everybody else around me comfortable. I made it sound like, you know, I was rebelling, nothing was wrong at home, that I wasn't subject to abuse. So this kind of covers the early stages of my life, you know, my childhood, and what I want to do is kind of summarise what what grown-up me now would do in that cir circumstance. And I also want anybody who's listening who finds themselves in you know, similar circumstance or knows of children that are vulnerable to take action. It just isn't good enough just to know. You've got to step in. I remember being fragile. I remember being vulnerable. I remember having conflicting views about feeling tougher than what I was and then being made to feel that I wasn't. Every child needs loving parents. I had an absent dad, an abusive mother, I had no role models. So looking back now, I wish I had someone to turn to. I wish I had somebody that I could have gone to speak to and said that I wasn't feeling okay. Maybe then things could have been halted. In this day and age, we, we have government organisations there to protect vulnerable children, but I didn't. I wish there was somebody that I could have spoken to, and I wish somebody had just seen that the bruises that were on me were just not child bruises. Now I also, about that time, not only was I being bruised and cut by my mother, I was self-harming. I have tattoos all down my arms. Anybody who knows me will uh, know that I've got tattoos all the way down to my wrists. Some of these tattoos actually cover scars. Scars of where I used to burn myself with matches just so I could get that rush of adrenaline that would take away some of the frustration. I've got scars where my mum cut me. I've got, I've just, you know, I was a victim back then and I wish I wasn't. It was about this time that my life was spiralling out of control and somebody intervened. A police officer that happened to know the family intervened and marched me down to the Army Careers Office, took me in there and made me join the Army. I joined the Army to uh, run away from my life and, you know, anybody who knows 
who knows the armed forces knows that this isn't new. There's lots of lads and girls that have joined the army to, to get away from their home life, to get away from where they grew up. And more importantly, to have a sense of belonging. You know, we're, we're the kids from Nowhere City that tend to join up in the army. And it's that, that brother and sisterhood that, that, you know, comes from the army. It's a very big organization to hide. And they're not so good at realizing that some of their own have got problems. So my problems didn't end there. You know, I was in the army. I was getting into trouble. I was trying to find my place and I was rebelling. But unfortunately, you're a small fish in a big pond when you're in the army. And there were bigger boys and more trouble to get into. But I was getting a, a bit of a bad reputation for myself. I was getting a bit of a bad name for being a bad egg. And I was coming close to being th actually thrown out of the army. But somebody saw potential in me. And I was made to box. It provided a channel for my hate, my fear, my aggression, my sadness. And everything seemed to make sense. I was part of a team. I was training. I was pushing all that angst, all that built-up aggression into doing something. And I excelled. I wasn't afraid of being hurt. I was used to it. You know? It wasn't, it wasn't unheard of for me to take a punch or two. I started to do well in the army and I met my future, well, I met the future mother of my children. But I was a different person. I'd closed down. I was unable to open up about my feelings and I kept all my feelings inside just, just as a protection mechanism, just to stop myself getting hurt. I'd go through phases where I'd need to get away from it all, you know, and I'd volunteer volunteer to go away on courses just so I could have a change of environment. Maybe there was something inside of me that just didn't like being still for too long. You know, being in the forces and doing certain things, particularly in this day and age, so we're talking from, you know, 2000s onwards, you'd be hard pushed to come across any serving soldier or retired soldier that hasn't seen death and suffering. You know, there's a number of incidents that I could name, you know, and one in particular was quite harrowing where a bus full of children and women was blown up right in front of us. And we had to go and scoop them all up and put them into big bags. It, it was horrible. Looking back on it now, re retrospectively, it's one of the single most horrific things that I've had to witness and mankind are just shit sometimes. But I was emotionally numb to this. It didn't affect me. So I didn't think it did anyway. I seemed to be able to compartmentalize what was happening around me. And you take, take all these feelings, all of these things that aren't right in humanity and just stick it in a box. I had this thought that there will always be evil in the world, you know, and this pessimistic view that I have that's, you know, is deep within me from my childhood seems, you know, I seem to believe that no matter where I'll go in my life, I'll be confronted by evil. Soldiers have a unique way of dealing with issues. It's black here, black humour almost, you know, they're, they're subjected to things like this day in, day out, so you've got to have tough skin, you know. 
And it's not until perhaps you're taken out of that organization where you, you perhaps realize that you're not that tough, you're not that immune to it. Uh, I had this total ignorance of, of this horror and it seemed to make everything bearable. You know, I sort of meandered through my army days just putting things away, putting things in boxes. I was good at not talking about how I felt, you know, and it's, it's, it's not good, you know. So looking back on my army career, you know, if there, there were elements that I'd taken from my childhood, you know, me mental health issues, things that were affecting me, and what I'd done is rolled it all up and used it as a catalyst to propel myself through my army career. And it was almost like a snowball that I'd taken something from back then and it was just rolling and rolling and it was getting bigger and bigger, but I was just ignoring it. It was like this snowball that was becoming into like a massive boulder was just slowly rolling behind me as I was looking forward. Yeah, looking back at my army career, I wish I wish that, you know, we taught more. I wish the support services had been there, you know, that people could talk and open up. You know, we're in 2018 now and there's a big push on mental health in men and women. And, you know, the, the slogans that you, you come across that say, it's okay not to be okay, you know, but it wasn't then. It wasn't okay not to be okay. You just had to, as they said, man up. You know, and that's just such a dismissive statement to say, it's okay, just get on with life, you know, it's all right, man up. But looking back now, I'm at a point where, you know, I'm midway through my life and I've got all of this brewing inside, you know, and anybody who's listening can just imagine, it's, I can remember feeling like I had this lead jacket on, you know, that feeling that you get that everything's pushing against you and that you can't breathe and sometimes you you just it's just feeling like this is immense pressures on you and you just can't explain what it is you know I'd go through days where I was just euphoric and you know I was unbeatable to days that I just dismayed and I just wished that I wasn't alive you know but I, I made a decision you know the baby mother of my children decided that I was to leave the army. But that's a thing that we're going to cover shortly. I was told that I needed to leave the army, leave all of that behind. So I did. I left. I left the army. It was the biggest shock that I could ever have to my system. And actually, looking back on it retrospectively, it's one of the biggest mistakes I ever made. I didn't fit into my new life and I missed the security blanket of the army. People that I came across cross were cold and I mistrusted everybody you know I still had this feeling of a tight chest and shortness of breath and ultimately this was still having an impact on my relationship you know things were becoming fraught it didn't make my relationship any better it was the cause of its downfall I started blaming the baby mother for all of this our marriage broke up and I moved out I remember moving out with a bag full of clothes and a TV. I left absolutely everything that I've ever worked for in my entire life with the baby mother. But that was the right thing to do. In my mind's eye, I've got no role models. I've got no parents. 
it's probably worth noting that from from my teenage days until now some 30 years up later I've probably only spoken to my parents four or five times my marriage broke up and I moved to London I remember sleeping on sofas what is call it sur sofa surfing or sofa hopping or whatever the phrase is and I remember people being kind and allowing me to sleep in their bedroom for the weekend while they went back home just so that I could have my kids come down and visit me my children were only five and nine months old I remember them coming down I remember transporting them you know and taking them on two-hour trips each way on trains you had two or three trains you're just they never complained they were so happy to see me and that's why I carried on doing it I flew to Germany I went to visit my army friends while they were still stationed out there and I have recurring thoughts about eating 9p beans and surviving off bread just to make sure I had enough money to pick up my children but never thought anything of it I just began to blame myself for it all being wrong you know it's at this time that I remember having all this immense guilt and that I was carrying the burden of all all that had happened with my parents I blame myself for them beating me I blame myself for them breaking up I blamed myself for the breakup of my marriage but I also remember something from that time it's one of the happiest times that I've ever spent with my children I had nothing literally nothing in my bank account I'd pick the children up would go out around Golders Green in London and just do the free stuff also remember just sleeping in a bedroom with a sofa bed next to the bed that I was allowed to sleep in we all shared the same room but looking back now as I'm doing this podcast from the comfort of my three-bedroom house I've got two cars outside I've got money in the bank I go on exotic holidays but I remember those times they were happy because I had nothing but I had the love of my children I remember wanting to be accepted I remember feeling lonely when I wasn't with somebody I went out and had a number of promiscuous and dangerous affairs seeking attention and approval and I remember spiraling away from the morals that I had and doing things that I shouldn't have done but there was a defining moment in my civilian life it was a moment with an ex-girlfriend where she stood there one day and told me that I'd have to choose between her and my children given my background given my upbringing given the fact that my parents did not love their children or maybe they did but maybe they didn't show it there was no competition I chose my children why wouldn't I looking back now and the things I did when I entered my civilian life would I change anything hell yeah I would you know but I've learned the lessons you know the transition from army into civilian life is quite 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 a big one you know I've learned a lot of lessons I've I've made some friends that were there for me and you know I can count them on one hand you know there's a few people that hopefully will be listening to this that will know that they were there 
They were there when I needed them. And they didn't give advice. They didn't solve my problems. They were just there to listen. And I think that's really important for anybody who, who wants to help somebody who's not dealing with things. It's just, just bloody be there. Just listen. You don't have to say anything. It's just nice to know that there's someone there. But I remember the, what, those that weren't. The people that were my good time friends that deserted me. But the big, the big issue and the catalyst for me to talk about my mental issues is my love life. You see, from an early age, from my experiences of being a child, I have this issue regards to emotional attachment with women. I craved attention, love, support, guidance from my own mother, and I didn't get it. Therefore, I didn't believe that I would get it from anybody else. I distrusted women. I, th I had all these fears that they would, they would all hurt me. And it's not a healthy place to be. You know, and it's caused me problems and it's seen me walk out on really good relationships just because I bugger them up. I always seem to be seeking approval from people. I have this feeling of utter despair when I don't get it. But the biggest despair I have, and I still have now, is when I drop the kids off after spending a weekend with them or a holiday with them. And I drop them off at their home and they walk into the mum's house and I'm sat there and I feel alone. And I feel empty. And I just, I'm not afraid to admit it. There have been times that I've driven away from their house, parked up in a lay-by, and just cried. Just absolutely broken at the thought that all I've ever wanted in my life is to give my children what I didn't have. And I felt like I failed them. I, did, I felt like I don't make them proud. You know, I have those feelings now. But there, you know, there has been some sunshine come out of all of this recently. You know, this is all cascading, you know, that snowball that I told you about, now I've become a boulder. It finally hit me. It finally hit me about five years ago when I broke up with a, with a girl I was in a relationship with. And I stood there in the middle of a busy street and I felt like I had nothing. There was nobody I could turn to and I felt so alone. And it was at this time that I decided or thought about ending my life. You know, I had low self-worth, low self-esteem, and I just felt like I'd failed at everything I'd ever done. But, and I don't know how it happened, I saw a poster. I saw a poster for Mind, the charity, the mental health charity. And in the last bid bear in mind I had a bag full of tablets that we were going to take when I was going to step in front of a train I saw this poster for mind and I rang them and I started my treatment I started talking about all of what I've sort of covered now to you guys and they started drawing out points we started this 
Adlerian uh, therapy, as it was called. And a part of the therapy was to write letters, to write letters to both my mum and my dad, to forgive them, to write how I felt and tell them that I forgave them, which I did. I finished my therapy. I was told to unburden myself of all the guilt that I felt. And anybody listening who has feelings of guilt, you gotta let that shit go. You've gotta stop feeling bad for what you've done because it just weighs you down. You know, you should keep looking forward and learn the mistake, learn from your mistakes. Don't carry the mistakes, get rid of the mistakes. Learn the lesson, learn what it teaches you. Just drop that shit. It's like a rucksack full of bricks. Take it off your shoulder, put it down and breathe. It's an amazing feeling. Just stop beating yourself up and start looking forward. That's what I did, you know, and it might not apply to everybody. But I think all of the problems that I had with this overwhelming guilt that I carried. You know, so getting back to these letters, I sent them to my mum and my dad. My dad didn't respond. He still hasn't today. I know he received it. But that means he's read the letter, read how I felt, and not given a shit also means that he's not acknowledged that I forgave him. Now, my mum, on the other hand, spoke to me about my letter, told me she disagreed with it, told me I was wrong, told me I had ADHD, told me I was a bad boy, told me that I deserved to be beaten. But I asked her, knowing what she knows now, and the way that our lives have turned out, would she do it again? And the answer was yes. Once an abuser, always an abuser. I also feel sorry for my children's mother because over the last couple of years, she has used the children as a weapon because the children are my only Achilles heel. Because since doing all my counseling therapy, and just shrugging off my self-worth, my low self-worth, and all of that, she knows that the only way to get at me is through the children. But they're getting to an age where they can see this. They've seen it for themselves, they've read the emails, they've heard the vicious, poisonous words that she's said. But I feel sorry for her. I'm not angry, I feel sorry because she seems to be oblivious to the pain that she's causing our children. I've been through it, I've seen it, I've experienced it. Children notice a lot. One thing I've gotta say is that my daughter will probably listen to this podcast. And if you are, Emily, you're a grown-up girl. You can make your own decisions and I'm happy to talk to you about my side, but you need to talk to your mum about her side. Do not let anybody tell you what to think. Your mind is yours, it belongs to you. Nobody owns your mind but you. So, there's lots of things that plagued me. My love life, 
my work life and everything else, but it no longer does. I'm able to let go of it. I think I've reached a point where I'm just fresh out of fucks to give. And do you know what? When you reach that point in your life, you just feel so happy. You know, there's one thing that I know as I'm sat here and it may, be com- it may come across that I'm carrying all this hate. I don't, I'm just, I just feel sorry for these people. The three people that have caused me the most pain in my life, I feel sorry for them. My ex-wife, my mum, my dad, they're bad people. And the poison that runs through their veins will either destroy them or kill them. And that's what I feel sorry for. Because there are people out there that love them. And there are people out there that don't want them to be hurt. But this poison that runs through their veins will ultimately destroy them. I forgive them. I have forgiven them. And I always will forgive them. But I will never forget. I've learnt my lesson. I've taken that lesson and I've moved forward. You know, the... it's been difficult having a love life when you, you feel so untrusting. But I've met, I've met a beautiful woman who has been through, she's been through hell herself. But you know, I'm going to cover a couple of those points in a sec. I just want to recap on now. You know, so I've given you a bit of a backstory to my life almost you know over the last 30 odd minutes or so so if you're still awake well well done for sticking with it my life now seems more manageable i'm open and honest about how i feel i realize that i have a voice and i use it so any of you that know me or have known me recently will know me as quite a bolshy confident and outspoken individual but that's not the person I was. For so many years, I was quiet. I kept my feelings inside and I wouldn't tell people how I feel. But I'm free now. I'm not afraid to say how I feel. I'm not afraid to voice my opinion. And I found music. I found DJing. I know I said this podcast wasn't about music or DJing, but it's the music that makes me feel better. Music to me is what my feelings feel like out loud. Just just think about that. Music is what feelings sound like out loud. It's true, eh? I now have a beautiful woman who has so suffered so much pain recently. She lost her father, but she kept moving forward. And I saw everybody in her family desert her. And she lifted her head up and she carried herself. The pride that she has is inspiring. So she's carried herself and me and she's an inspiration to me. This is why I proposed to her. Because she's taught me so much about the person I want to be. I accept now that I cannot influence the future by living in my past. So I only look back to see how far I've come. I look forward and I keep keep moving forward. There's a difference between movement and progress. 
You've got to sit down perhaps and reflect yourself. Am I moving forward or am I progressing? The latter's the better. I set goals for myself and dedicate time to achieve them. One of the things that's come out of the chaos in my life and the, the, the feeling of nothing going to plan is the fact that I can plan. You know, I've almost gone the other side. You know, I've compensated for that lack of order in my life. You know, I'm a successful project manager at work. I'm one of the best at what I do. Not so good at home, I'm afraid. I try to project manage my life and that shit don't go down very well at home. I recognise that everybody at one point or another will have problems. So all I could say to anybody listening is, just be kind. You never know what people are going through. You look at them and they could be smiling, they could be happy, they could be the life and soul of the party, but you just don't know how fragile and shattered they could be inside. I value the concept of not wanting to fix the world, but rather just being here to listen to it. I realise it just could be as simple as saying, you okay? You want a drink? Could be as simple as that, picking up the phone and saying to a friend, how are you? I set time aside for personal reflection and my own well-being. Because I believe a healthy body leads to a healthy mind, and vice versa. I've accepted I'm a good person and I deserve the good things in my life. I have the love of a beautiful woman, my health, my wealth, two amazing children that despite the crap that's happened around them recently and the amount of pressure and disturbance that their bickering parents have put around them, they still find the beauty in the world. You know, we could learn so much from children and just keep things simple. I treasure the time I spend with my children because I know it won't be forever. I know as they grow up, they'll want to know what's happening around them and I'll answer their questions when they ask. I can only show them love. I guess as I'm coming to the end of what I want to talk about, it's just keep moving forward guys girls you know we all have bad days but not every day could be bad you've just got to find the beauty in each and every day so i just want to wrap this up with a few quotes before i sign off life is too short for pent-up anger the holding of grudges and extra stress and pain just remember forgiving someone is for you and not them Mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it's more common and it's also harder to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. Just think about that. The more you try to conceal your mental pain, the more it increases that burden. It's easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. We often complain about toothache, but how often do we tell people that we feel broken or our heart is broken? Please don't judge people. You just don't know what it looks to someone to get out of bed, 
Look and feel presentable as possible and face the day. You never truly know the daily struggles that other people have. Having a mental disorder isn't easy. And it's even harder when people assume that you can just snap out of it and get over it. Don't be ashamed of your story. Tell it. It may inspire others. I hope mine has inspired you. If you're having a bad time, just get up in the morning and make your bed. Just make your bed. Step out of your home and set yourself small and manageable tasks, even the smallest task. That sense of accomplishment that you'll feel will motivate you to do the next and the next. Time will pass and maybe your day will pass okay. But if you have a shit day and it did not go to plan, when you get home, you'll always have a nice bed to get into and the promise of a new day. As they say in the film Finding Dory, just keep swimming. I'm Matt Brassington and you've been listening to Breaking Through with Olem. Until the next time, take care of yourselves and be that one friend that simply says, all right, knobhead, want to grab a coffee? You can follow Olem on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube and listen on SoundCloud, Mixcloud and iTunes. Tune in for more mixes, playlists, podcasts and this eagerly awaited track. Thank you.